Each week, I've started out the message talking about a video game. The message is called Reset. And if, you're, if this is your first time here, you, I'm going to catch you up to speed. If you ever played the original Nintendo, half the time you never knew if it was going to work. And what you'd have to do is you'd have to take out that cartridge and you'd blow some fresh air into that thing, slide it back in, hit reset, push power, and you'd start the thing over again. And so as we're talking about following Jesus, many of us, regardless of how much church you have, need to hit reset from time to time and just start over fresh, new. I do. There are so many times in the course of a year where my prayer life looks like this. Oh, God, forgive me. I've just, my mind has been on so many other things other than you. Forgive me for that. You know what I'm really saying? Man, I'm I'm resetting things right now. I'm starting fresh. I'm starting new. God, you know what? You are my first love, my first priority. That is the heart of this. Okay? Now, Thinking about the last message in this series, I couldn't help but think of a legendary game that we would play in the wee hours of summer nights. When summer comes, I don't know how you guys, what you, how you feel. I still sometimes feel like this. I'm 35. I have children, seven, five, three, and about eight months, nine months now, Right? But when summer comes, I think of basically three things. I think of spending the night with my friends. Did you guys do that when, you, when summer came? I mean, that's all I did. So school was out. Oh, man. I mean, every night of the week, you were hanging out at your buddy's house. You'd call mom and dad on the landline and ask if you could stay the night at your friend's house, even though they literally lived next door. <laughs> that's what you did. Okay, And so that was all summer, which meant junk food, it meant movies, and of course, I was a child of the 80s, it meant video games. <laughs> and there was a game, does anyone remember the game Contra? I see one hand raised, I've got a hand in the back, anybody else? This was a, nobody. Wow, see, you, you haven't... We're going to have some ministry time after service for you, okay? Contra was one of those legendary games, okay? And what made Contra great, you were fighting aliens and all that kind of stuff, whatever. One of the things that's just iconic about Contra is that there was a code that you put in at the beginning of the game. I see smiles on many people's faces right now because they know. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Okay, does anybody remember the Contra code? Come on, don't be afraid. Come on, Ryan. What you got? Bring it loud and, loud and clear. Bingo. Yes. Yes. 30 extra lives. It's the only way you could beat the game. It was the special move, the special code at the beginning of the game. I know it by heart. If you tell me what's the Contra code, I got this, brother. You know why? Because when you've done it that many times, when you've played that game, it just becomes second nature. 
you remember it. It's like, your, it's like your home phone number. If you grew up with a landline, you can remember that number way easier oftentimes than your cell phone number nowadays. I have to think about my cell phone. If somebody asks me what my digits are, I think, oh. You asked me what my phone number was growing up? 636-938-6065. How do I know that? Because I did it so many times. And so as we're getting into the last message, the title of the message is, is learning your special moves, okay? I realize that. I, 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 some of you still might be thinking, what is this guy talking about? I don't get it. All right, let me help you out a little bit further. Uh, there's an 80s movie. Lots of 80s references here. Get it? I introduced Graham yet again this week to the legendary movie that might have defined part of my childhood called The Karate Kid. Okay? Solid. All right? And in the first Karate Kid movie, if you haven't seen it, it's the special move that wins the tournament. What is it called? It's only made cinema history. Everyone, I see people doing it already. It's the crane kick, all right? You've seen it. You know it. You pretended to do it as a child. It's the crane kick. And it was, you couldn't defend against it. It was the special move. Maybe you didn't watch Karate Kid. Maybe your speed is more Kung Fu Panda. Also legendary in its own right. Does anybody remember the special move that, that, that Poe uses to, to beat Tai Lung? What's it called? The whooshy finger hold. The whooshy finger hold. That's exactly right. You can't defend against it. It's the special move. When you look at how many great movies... How many great games, how many great things in life, even just sports, the great play that just mesmerizes people. It's the special move that is just legendary. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had a special move just in life? You read in scripture and we, we hear about God talking about advancing his kingdom. Well, what on earth does that even mean? How do I do it? What, what is that? Well, what if I told you that you actually do have a special move? That throughout scripture, we see Jesus trying to teach a crane kick, so to speak. But many times... We as believers or the church simply don't see it for what it is, or we just don't really value it. You guys with me this morning? Because we're going to talk about something. It's going to challenge you. I'm going to bring a little heat on it. And it should be our special move, every one of us. And if it's not, that's okay. Don't feel any shame this morning. But our desire here at High Point is that you would love Jesus so much that you would actually care about the things that he instructs us to do in Scripture and that we would learn how to do them. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Do this. Turn to Matthew 4. 18 through 22. 
It's a passage we've been using throughout the series. I'm going to repeat it again. If you're tired of hearing it, well, too bad. I'm going to read it again. And I'm going to read the other one again. We're going to ingrain this sin like the Contra Code where you are just so familiar with it, it just comes out. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, there are a lot of preaching points here, okay? That's pretty intense. Jesus says, hey, I don't even know you. Why don't you follow me? And people leave their nets and follow him, okay? I know there's other aspects to this story that we aren't aware of. But it doesn't change the fact that that's pretty impressive. But the other thing that we have to pay attention to is that the very first thing that Jesus says outside of follow me is I'm going to teach you to fish for people. It's the first thing he says. The very first public service announcement from Jesus to the world is you and you come follow me. I'm going to teach you to fish for people. You two, you come follow me too. They do it together. They do it in relationship with one another with the intent of fishing for people. With me. In case you think I'm I'm losing it this morning, Luke 5, 27 through 29. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with Jesus. So Jesus calls Peter and Andrew. He calls James and John. He lets them know, follow me. I'm going to teach you to fish for people. Oh, and in the next breath, in the next moment, he finds Levi collecting taxes at the tax booth. Levi, also known as Matthew, come follow me. Levi says, sounds like a plan. Leaves everything and follows him. And although we don't see Jesus saying, I'm going to teach you to fish for people, the very first act that Levi has is to throw a party for all of his friends that don't know Jesus so that he can introduce them to Jesus. Seeing how this comes together. I've called you to follow me. But understand that that calling to follow is also a call to fish. You cannot separate the two. And this word that we sometimes, you know, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe, maybe you didn't. 
<clears throat> I grew up, I had an amazing church I grew up in St. Louis. I grew up in the Church of Christ. Uh, it was a terrific church, terrific youth group. I still love the church that I grew up in in St. Louis. I have great relationships there. But a word that we never used, just wasn't popular, was discipleship. Okay? And if we're talking about learning a special move, the special move that Jesus is instructing everyone to follow him to learn is this thing that we now call discipleship. I've, I've, I've made it a little bit easier for you that you would be a disciple who can make a disciple. That if you're going to follow Jesus, disciple literally just means follower. And if you are going to answer the call to follow, you're answering the call to fish. You're answering the call to be a disciple who can make a disciple. That is our secret move. The secret sauce. And now I'm talking to some of you. You've been to that restaurant before. You've eaten that thing and you thought, what, what heavenly sauce is on this? I have to know. But it's a secret. Well, good news is, is this isn't a secret. It's for all of us to own and know and hold on to. And I want you to hear something here. I know my voice is getting raspy, raspier as the minutes go on. Bear with me. At high point, this is what we're going to do. We're going to own this special move. We're going to, we are owning discipleship. And I want you to hear, we're not owning it amidst a bunch of other things. No, it is, it is what we're owning. And we are not buckling to ideas of how to get big quick. We aren't trying to introduce all of these programs or services or things that can make you feel much better as a believer. Here is what we are owning and that we will not compromise on. And it's that you would learn how to follow Jesus with your heart, with your mind, and your actions, and that you would be able to do it with somebody else. We will not back down from that line. That is who we are. And we believe that that is the call that God has put not only on you, but the church at large. The call to discipleship. Our special move. Got a couple things in my hand here. If you're listening online, there's seed packets, okay? There's a real hunger in the church for maturity. So much so that, that people love, and I want you to hear this, and we'll qualify this, because knowledge is very good. You need knowledge. The Bible has much to say about growing in knowledge, 
But you know what the Bible, interestingly enough, does not say? It doesn't say that knowledge equals maturity. And that's why you can see and find so many people who know so many things who yet do not walk in maturity. And right now I'm holding four seed packets. And one of the things that we see in scripture weaved from beginning to end is the idea of soil and the idea of sowing seeds and the idea of of reaping and harvest and bearing fruit. And interestingly enough, even in 2016, when you look on the back of a seed packet, it has something interesting that it says. It says days to maturity on it. It says days to maturity. Here are some cucumber seeds. And the days to maturity are 60 days, two months. You plant this and a reasonable expectation for you to see fruit on this might be small, may not be edible yet, but it's about 60 days. Here we have peppers, 70 days, days to maturity. Here you've got onion. I don't even know why I have this. 120 days. Watermelon, yes, 90 days. Three months, four months, two months. When you go to the, the, I don't farm, surprise. (laughs) But when you go on one of the main (laughs) farming websites, (laughs) I guess, and you look this information up, I'm going to tell you what the definition it reads. It says, most seed packets list either a days to maturity number or a harvest date. Many garden books and websites like this one provide this information. Plant maturity is meant to tell you when the plant is ready to set fruit or flower. In other words, my paraphrase, maturity isn't defined by the plant's capacity to break through the soil. It isn't defined by how green the plant can get. It isn't defined by its ability to grow tall or have a thick trunk or stem or all the other pieces of a plant. It's defined by its ability to bear fruit, its capacity to reproduce itself. And so here we are in 2016, and many of us would never define maturity as a Christian's capacity to reproduce oneself. But you should understand from Scripture is that is exactly what Jesus expected. And it's exactly what we see throughout Scripture. If you're not able to reproduce, if you're not able to bear fruit, think of it as a plant, right? Thankfully, God is gracious and he is good and merciful. But understand, if you planted something and in four months' time, nothing is happening, the normal the normative conclusion is that something isn't quite right with this plant. Something might be wrong in the soil. 
Something might be wrong in the conditions, getting enough sun, enough water, enough all the things that you need. And so my conclusion in this as well, which I'm going to illustrate further, is that if we don't have the capacity to bear fruit, we should be looking at our relationship with Jesus and inspecting it and wondering what isn't quite right here. And that's hard to hear because many of us have grown up in church Many of us have grown up in the faith and we know all the right things to believe and yet have never prayed for someone to become a Christian, have never helped lead someone to Jesus, have never taught someone scripture, have never given what God has given you and helped give it away to someone else. And I want you to hear this with lots of love, that is immaturity. And we've got to hit reset on what we think it looks like to be a mature Christian. We've got to start over. You feeling me this morning? You with me? I'm not here to bloody you up today. I'm here to move us into the greatest season of fruitfulness that we have ever seen. Matthew 28. Actually, no, before I get there, it's worth noting this. I started swinging the hammer and I'm going I'm to finish the blow. Because we spend a lot of time talking about things that are decent conversations and are worthy things to pray about. We talk about the diminishing uh, Christian values in our country. My gosh, if you get on social media, I mean, you could spend hours reading about just the bemoaning nature of Christians and the leadership of our country. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not really that worried about the next president. I want you to know that. Is it a worthy conversation? Yes. Should we be praying about it? You better believe it. But the next president is not the Messiah. The next president isn't Jesus Christ. The next president doesn't have the capacity to save you from your sins. Only Jesus can do that. The next president cannot make you new. The next president cannot heal your sickness. The next president cannot do any of those things. Pray for them. Be in faith for them. Believe God for them. But understand the president is not the Messiah. And just because someone takes office that is not the person that you want does not mean that the devil has taken over this country. God has great plans for this land. I firmly believe that. But the greatest threat to Christianity is not presidents or policies. It isn't even persecution. The greatest threat to Christianity are Christians who can't make disciples. Do you know why? Because it means Christianity ends and dies with you. A Christian who follows Jesus but either can't or is unwilling to fish is actually the greatest threat to Christianity. 
because you're not making disciples and you're not reproducing what God put inside of you, inside of someone else. Matthew 28 says this, 18 through 20. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who died for your sins and my sins, he begins his ministry by saying, come follow me, and I'm going to teach you how to fish. And his last words before he leaves this earth are much the same. I'm leaving this place. I'm not leaving you. I'm going to be with you always. But now you need to go and do what? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them how to follow me. I love that. Be a disciple who can make disciples. That's your special move. It's, you can't defend it. Satan has no answer for you and I loving our neighbor enough to share the good news of the gospel with them and teaching them how to follow Jesus. There's no answer for it. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Here's Paul writing to young Timothy. Paul is a writer of two-thirds of the New Testament. Has one of the most dramatic conversion experiences in all of Scripture. And he says, The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. He doesn't say find pastors and church staff and teach them so that they can teach others. He says and qualifies the only qualification for whether you should be entrusting this to other people is that they're reliable. So you can choose to be reliable or unreliable. Those are your options. And if you're reliable... Well, guess what? Then you are now qualified for God and teachers to give you what you need to make disciples, to teach others. Colossians 1, 6, 8 says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it, and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras. Who is that guy? You probably don't even know who he is. You might, you've probably grown up in church and have no idea who that guy is. He's just a guy. Paul taught Epaphras, and Epaphras taught everybody else. And those everybody else are teaching everybody else. And those everybody else's are teaching all those other everybody else's. And because the everybody else's are giving to the everybody else's, the gospel is bearing fruit and it's doing so throughout the whole world. It isn't just my job to disciple everyone. That is not the case. It's actually yours. My job is to help you do it and to do it with the fullest measure that you can.
At every nation, the ministry that we're a part of, it's a global ministry. There are four words that you hear a lot. You hear engage, establish, equip, and empower. We're actually going to have a big picture of that made so you can actually see it each Sunday. Probably put it in the back back there so you're getting used to seeing it because we are beginning to indoctrinate this. Maybe a bad choice of words, but we're getting it in our bloodstream, so to speak. A culture of discipleship, of people passionate, not just about knowing songs, or not just about, about a good speaker, or great worship, or even good life groups, but passionate about Jesus enough to obey his commands. And his commands are that we should bear fruit and fruit that remains. His commands are that we should make disciples. His commands are that we should follow him so that we can fish. And that's what we're going to do. I want you to see this. Can I have a couple volunteers come up here for a second? I'm not going to have you do anything crazy. Come on, Ron. I need five people. You can just line up the steps right here. Five people. Thank you. You guys look terrific. Kate, thank you. Yeah, no, you're good. You're already standing. That's true. <laughs> so, so we're, we're going to conclude here, but I, I want you to understand why we do the things that we're doing at High Point. And sometimes if you've been a part of a church, it, it can kind of look and feel like you just have certain things that stand alone and it just kind of is what it is. It's, maybe it's important, maybe it's not. But I want you to understand why we're doing what we're doing and why we're not doing a bunch of other stuff that we're just not going to do. And it's, P.S., fine if somebody else wants to do those things. I think it's great. God bless that church, that ministry, and God bless America. <laughs> but you can understand why we are doing what we are doing. Okay? And it's for one reason. It isn't because what I'm about to do is offering you our services. And what we can offer you on the buffet of, of Christian just experience. No. We are offering things where we are trying to bring you, we are trying to engage you, equip you, excuse me, engage you, establish, equip, and empower so that you can be someone who follows and somebody who fishes. So today we have starting point. You can hold that up. That's good. And the reason we have starting point, guys, is so that you can come that you can have lunch and that you can ask some questions about the church, maybe make some new relationships. But the heart and soul of this is to move you deeper in so that you can get connected right here. And the reason we value life groups is because you don't have discipleship without relationship. We have to know each other. We have to love each other. We have to be friends with one another. You've got to be able to lay it down for one another and be frustrated with one another and be tested by one another. You're going to come to starting point and we're going to find out, are you in a life group? You're not? Great. Let us help you get connected in one. Because there's value 
and being connected outside of just Sunday morning. The other thing that you're going to get, it would go almost like this, but I'm going to move it right here, is we're going to help you to start serving. Because this isn't just about you. We need to be serving our brothers and our sisters. We need to be serving guests. We need to be serving and setting up and breaking down and putting curtains up and running the computer and all of those things and and also serving movie nights and opportunities where God is giving moments for us to make less of ourselves and more of him. Giving back. I would put giving under serving. Being generous. The offering, that's an opportunity for us to serve and to give because we don't just value getting. No, 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 no. We value giving over getting. With me. There you go, brother. You look, that looks nice. We could make this your badge that you could just carry around. It'd be really nice. Yeah. So you're seeing the progression here, right? If I had a giant circle, it would actually make a little more sense. This is just the peace in our church. This isn't, we can't, we can't make you engage your neighbor. We can't make you uh, engage the person next to you at work. But you know what? Once you do, we're going to give you all of the resources and equipping and empowering and establishing tools possible to help you lead that person to Jesus and teach them how to follow him. And the way we start is this thing called the Purple Book. It's just 12 chapters. And it helps people get into scripture and begin to learn how to follow them. What does baptism mean? Lordship, discipleship. What is the Holy Spirit? What is salvation? All of that. And you get to just walk someone through it. And then we have a quip, which is our dedicated moment where we are teaching you how to share your faith how to pray for people, how to share the gospel. And so here's how it works, guys. I I, I know that there are other things eventually that will get added to this, but I also want you to hear, we're not looking to add a whole, whole lot more. Obviously, we have campus ministry, and that has its own little wheel. And there are things like conferences that bless you and minister to you. There are those moments that are where we have someone teaching a seminar on parenting that fits under equip. But understand, you start here. You get connected in life groups and you start serving. You go through the purple book and you get foundations in your life and you get equipped so that you can start this thing all over with who? Your friend somebody else and you point them to starting point where does somebody that you brought to church where does their journey begin right there and we get connected in life groups and you begin to serve and and then you go through the purple book and you get equipped and then what do you do you do it all over again and the wheel just keeps going because we are disciples who do what who make disciples We are passionate about engaging people, establishing people in the word, empowering them, equipping them, and starting it all over again.
know I've preached myself hoarse. But I want you to understand that we're a church that's passionate about one special move. And that's discipleship, baby. Be a disciple who can make disciples. And if you are sitting here this morning and you aren't serving, guess what? We can help you do that. There's no magic formula. You don't have to start here. Plenty of people have gotten in a life group before attending starting point. But understand, in theory, that's where you'd begin. Been through the purple book yet? New to faith? Want to go through it? Scared to death by what that even means? Well, guess what? We've got sign-up sheets for nearly all of this at guest service. So you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I know I went over a little bit, but that's okay. If you were listening online, I had several volunteers on stage that were holding up signs that kind of were showing the different stages of involvement and the four E's. In just a moment, we're going to receive the offering. But I want you to understand, guys, we aren't doing what we're doing just because the church down the street might be doing it or because it's a trend or a fad. That's not what we're doing. We aren't going to do that. We might be tempted to. But we're going to really try to keep the needle on one thing, and that's you being a disciple who can make disciples. Amen?